Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Today we're going to talk about the femur and femoral preparation. And once again, I do not believe that my way is the best way or the only way. This is just the way that I do my total knees. And this is the sequence that we go through. So once we do the approach and the exposure and the patella preparation, I move on to the femur. Now, when I was in training... Uh, I did a lot more anti-referencing, posterior stabilized designs uh, in fellowship, pretty much did cruciate retaining and posterior referencing. And when I started practicing, it was really a blend of both. I definitely have gravitated more towards a cruciate retaining measured resection design in the majority of cases, uh, but depending on the implant system or the anatomy, I may use an anti-referencing system. And based on deformity, I may use a posterior stabilized design. And I make that decision sometimes preoperatively based on the deformity and sometimes intraoperatively based on the assessment of the cruciate. So since the beginning of time, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, the cruciate retaining and posterior stabilized debate has gone on. So I think as long as you do whichever way you perform a total knee well, your patients will do well. Um, but if you misbalance a cruciate retaining knee, that can have significant issues, especially if you do not balance the PCL well, you'll have issues with flexion. If you release too much and undersize a femoral component, uh, you can have instability. And even more so with the poster stabilized design, you can have issues such as cam jump. So being aware of all of the things that you can do correctly and incorrectly and how that may help or hurt the patient is really important. So like I've always said too, it's like a choose your own adventure book. So when we're doing a knee, you may decide on making an extra resection either off the distal femur because they had a flexion contracture preoperatively, but you won't know till the end or once you do your gap balancing as to whether or not they're well balanced and maybe that two millimeters wasn't needed, especially as we'll get to the end of this episode, if they have a lot of posterior osteophytes. And the same thing with your flexion gap, you really need to know your implant system. So if you are using a particular implant system and you used a posterior measured resection, you need to be aware of whether or not you're going to notch and do you need to upsize. Whereas if you've used an anterior referencing system and you're tight in flexion and you're flush with the anterior cortex and your decision now is to downsize, is the jump between femoral sizes a millimeter to five millimeters? Because you may only need a couple millimeters extra room to balance your flexion gap. But if the jump between sizes is five millimeters, you may increase your flexion gap more than what you wanted to do, requiring you to resect more distal femur. So you need to be aware of all of those things as you go through. Um, now, when I do my femur, I've made my drill holes because I use an intramedullary uh, guide and I set my measured resection. Now, I typically will set and my tech will set me up for five. Now, occasionally, especially in a valgus knee, I may adjust this to six or seven. And a lot of times that's based on the patient's anatomy. But I want you to pay attention in the future on two things, especially in the valgus knees. Think about what you set as far as your distal femoral resection angle 
as well as your rotation. And then at the end of the case, when you're balancing, ask yourself, do I wish I would have taken another degree or two of valgus? And would my extension gap be more balanced? Or inflection, am I still loose in the medial side and tight in the lateral side? And if I had internally rotated my device another degree or two, would that have more uh, balanced my flexion gap. And what I find is as you start to see patterns arise with particular knees and patient's anatomy, you may make alterations in what you do because of what you've seen on previous knees. And again, it's that choose your own adventure because you truly do not know until the end a lot of times what the balancing is going to be. So again, for me, five millimeter distal resection, and I will adjust this to six or seven based on the patient's anatomy, uh, measuring off that worn medial side. Now, depending on the implant, you need to know, am I resecting eight or nine millimeters of distal resection? And do I need to take two more based on the flexion contracture? I rarely take two more in a varus knee, especially if they have a flexion contracture, and especially if they have posterior osteophytes, because once you remove the posterior osteophytes, the capsule's relaxed, and then you may have a larger extension gap than you wanted to. And the other thing to keep in mind is large, obese individuals with recurvatum, you may actually take two millimeters less. It may look like a very small cut. You can always go back and take two more. But if you take a standard resection in someone that already was loose in extension and had hyperextension, you may be chasing that and have to chase that with trying to downsize the femoral component to balance your flexion extension gaps. Now, the next step is when you pin the block is really important. Like we've talked about before, when you pin the block, you may have deviations with your hand, with the drill, with the pin, and that can affect that distal cut by a millimeter or two or a degree or two. So be very cognizant of how you place your pins and then make your cut. I typically will make my passes. I will work medial and then I will work central and then I will work lateral. The goal there is for the saw blade to exit just one or two teeth along the medial border of the condyle, preventing a blowout from the soft flat side of the blade hitting that that bone and knocking it out. We've talked about previously taking off the osteophytes before you begin this step, and that prevents a marginal fracture. So I use the blade and I will cut the medial aspect of the medial condyle, lateral aspect of the medial condyle, centrally in the notch, and then medial aspect of the lateral condyle, lateral aspect of the lateral condyle. And this allows me to go from medial to lateral. And then what I will do is pass my blade right down this center again. And it allows me to see, did I make my medial and lateral sides parallel to one another? And if I did not, do I have a tendency on a right knee or left knee to leave one side high? Now, you still have some option. With certain implant systems, you may have the ability to alter that block a little bit. So if I'm off a hair, say half a millimeter or so, and I believe that I want to take a little bit more, I can take a little bit more by flexing that distal cut. Now, certain knees and certain knee implants want you to flex a little bit more to match the patient's anatomy. Flexing that distal femoral cut will prevent notching and especially be aware of where your intramedullary holes are. I do have a lecture on YouTube that talks about alignment. It goes into more detail about where hole placement can make you go wrong. So that's a good one to kind of look at. And then at this point, once I've made my cut, checked my cut with the saw, I will then use my uh, distal cutting guide block and lay it back on there. So if I was aiming for five degrees, it allows me to once again check that I did get what I was aiming for. Now, the next step at this point 
is going to be setting your rotation, setting your sizing, and setting your position. So if you're an anterior referencing or posterior referencing, it'll depend on what implant system you're using. So for me, I use a posterior referencing measured resection the majority of the time. So I'll set my feet. Uh, we do have a custom um, device, which is basically your typical size, but broken into two. So I have posterior feet that allow me to set off the posterior condyles. Now, if they have a deficient lateral condyle, say a valgus knee, you need to make adjustments. A couple ways you can do this. You can either lift the back of the thigh or have your assistant lift the back of the thigh and use the handle on your guide to match it with the tibial axis. I find that one eyeball technique is a technique I use a lot. You can check your epicondyles, draw your white size line. The other thing to pay attention to also, and it depends on the patient's anatomy, is the trochlea and get in the habit of what the trochlea looks like. So if they have a dysplastic posterior lateral condyle and the trochlea is still intact, you can get the idea of what your cut may look like and it lets you know whether or not you have to internally or externally rotate the guide more than what it's allowing. If you have a guide that has shims, you may decide I want to add a millimeter or a degree shim to set my rotation. But be aware of this point and really try to get in the habit of every single time I'm lifting the leg, taking what the jig is giving me, looking at my tibial axis, looking at my epicondylar axis, white size line, and what the trochlea looks like, and then drilling my holes for your four-in-one cutting guide. Now, once the four-in-one cutting guide goes on, I go through that same process again and check. Now, if they have soft bones, sometimes you can take the handle if you want to just rotate a degree or so and you have the ability of just tweaking it in the soft bone. If they have hard bone and you know you want to rotate it one direction or the other, you can use a pin or a guide and make the hole a little bit bigger on one side, adjust your pin, and that can allow you to rotate. Uh, but that is the little nuances of what you know based on experience and what may best balance the knees, you're making those changes. Now, if you're a gap balancer, um, that you may do your tibia cut, check your extension gap, and then at this point, you can use gap balancing to set the rotation of that four-in-one cutting block. I will do that in knees that have strange anatomy, especially bad valgus knees, where I'll typically use either gap balancer. or I usually have two small lamina spreaders, and I'll put those medially and laterally so I can actually help balance but for most cases, the majority of the time, for me, it's cutting my distal femur, rechecking it, doing my post-referencing, measured resection, setting my rotation, setting up my four-in-one cutting guide. So four-in-one cutting guide is on. I'm making a cut and I'm taking the anterior cut. And again, what I'm doing here is I'm coming across the medial border, making sure that I am not going to notch and then coming across to the central area, then over to the lateral area, and making sure that those teeth exit the marginal plane so I don't get a marginal fracture. And then you assess. Now, you need to stop ahead of time if you put that four-in-one cutting block and you can almost guarantee you're going to notch. Some of the drill guides will allow you to take a, or some of the four-in-one cutting guides allow you to put a drill through so you can check to see where the saw is going to exit. If you're still unsure, you can always go up one size make it almost a freshening anti-referencing sort of cut where you're going to basically go up one size, cut it. Do I like it? Am I going to notch if I go back down to the size that I thought? Or do I like the rotation? Because then you can drop it down. And that time is extremely important. The patient is putting their faith in you that you're going to give them the best knee. So there's no need to rush and try to speed up through two minutes. Take the time to make the cut just perfect. Now, I made my anterior cut. Then I moved my retractors to the medial side make my medial posterior resection, medial chamfer resection. 
And then I switch my retractors over to the lateral side, mobile window philosophy. So I'm not stretching skin unnecessarily if I'm not working on that side. Make my lateral posterior cut, lateral posterior chamfer cut. Then the retractors come up top and I make my anterior chamfer cut. This again is an extremely important time to make sure that your saw blade exits the bone without causing a marginal fracture. So I'll go typically medial, make sure the back of your saw blade isn't banging up against the tendon, and then go lateral, and then at that point finish up the top. You can take your four-in-one cutting guide off at that point. Now, next step, if I was going to a posterior stabilized design, you can then put your box preparation on depending on what system you're going to use, when it's going to happen, but you can take out your notch, do your notch cut if you're going to do it later. I keep both available, so if I have an issue with balancing or I don't like the cruciate at the end of the case, I might convert later. But if we're leaving our four-in-one cutting guide at this point, that's done and that's prepared. Now, when I'm doing my knees, typically the next step is then going on to the tibia, and then I come back and I do a cleanup. But I think it's important, since we're talking about the femur here, is to talk about, and I'm jumping ahead in my technique, um, what I do during the case in the operating room. But when we talk about the femur, in that cleanup phase, I'm going into the posterior condyle. So I place a lamina spreader in on the lateral side, work medially first. We'll use a little suitcase lifter and femoral lifter to lift the femur through the intramedullary hole to allow placement of that lamina spreader. And once it is, I place a retractor medially. And what I'm looking for is two things, soft tissue and bone. So um, taking out any remaining meniscus that I left and any other additional soft tissue that's abnormal that needs to come out. And then I'm looking at the posterior condyle. And depending on the system that you use, depends on how far back you need to go. But if you can see the cartilage margin, that tends to be a good point. I have a a curved retractor um, that really helps get back there and also avoid levering on the anterior margin of the tibia. So I'll take off my posterior osteophyte medially. Now, in a cruciate retaining knee, I always make an extra look, even if it doesn't look like there's a piece there, and take my osteotome at a 45-degree angle just on the medial border of the PCL and the lateral margin of the medial posterior condyle and take off the bone and put the curved curette back there, the rongeur. And lo and behold, more often than not, you're going to find a large osteophyte, which can tent your PCL. And if you're not aware and looking for this, you may chase this by releasing the PCL or downsizing your femur. And a lot of times it was an osteophyte that needed to be removed. So always make it a habit to go there. At that point, then I will lift up again with the the uh, ephemeral lifter, switch the lamina spreader to the medial side, place the retractor on the lateral side, and now I'm doing the same thing. Soft tissue first, bone second. If you go through that habit every single time, it prevents you from going back and forth and back and forth, soft tissue and bone. Now, the question somebody might be thinking, well, what about stripping the posterior capsule? Well, the question is, did I need it? So if someone had pretty good extension preoperatively or had hyperextension, I am not going to release the posterior capsule. If somebody had a significant flexion contracture, I am. If I'm not sure, I might take off the osteophytes, strip something that feels really tight, and then wait until I trial and decide, do I need to do more of a strip off the posterior femur to get full extension, or was I well balanced? Um, so that's something that I would do as part of my cleanup phase, but I think it's important to talk about the this as far as the, uh, the femoral preparation. But you have to understand and going back into review that in just preparation of the femur, it's not just rotation and a distal resection. There's a lot of things that you can change or manipulate, perfect or control. So we're talking about the distal cut, 
Um, and do you always set five? Do you set five for varus knees and seven for valgus? Do you do, and I do this on occasion, especially really tall or really short people, I'll get long length films. And there are some studies that have looked at the accuracy of using the long length alignment films to make personal adjustments in that angle. And this really then gets into the kinematic philosophy. So I'm a believer in the kinematic philosophy, but I'm not an adopter. Um, and I believe that you'll see this in patients that you follow in the office. You see a lot of patients that are perfectly well aligned on x-ray, zero degree, 90 degree cut, uh, five degrees on the distal femur looks perfect on x-ray and they're unhappy. And then someone, especially a varus pre-op knee that's left in slight varus, what they call gentleman's varus, and they love it. So there is some soft tissue things that I may make adjustments if possible, based on the patient's preoperative exam, preoperative deformity. Um, but I'm not a, a doctor yet of full kinematics because I believe that if you have a patient in that 15% range that is unhappy after a total knee and you did a kinematically aligned knee, uh, even though your long length x-rays may look perfect, because your tibial cut and your femoral cut are off from the normal conventional way of doing it, you know that someone in town is going to offer them a revision that the implant wasn't positioned appropriately. And I'm a little fearful of placing a patient through that second operation, not knowing if that was the cause or there was some other cause. So I will make slight adjustments and personalize my knees. Um, one example would be with a particular knee system that I use, what I found over the years is that the distal cut tends to feather the PCL just perfectly. So if I'm in a knee uh, and there's not enough bone that I need to take two more millimeters off the distal femur, I will on purpose flex my femoral component, my femoral distal cut a little bit more until I see the feathering of that PCL. And those minor adjustments allow me to then decide, do I have to alter my femoral component um, based on the degree of the anterior kickup of the anterior flange, all little things that are nuances, but really important for you to understand between the different companies is this company's anterior flange kicked up seven degrees, five degrees. And you may make adjustments based on the patient or based on the implant system that you're using as to when you make these little nuanced changes. The other thing is knowing the jump in the AP diameter of your femoral component if you're going to downsize, like we talked about before. Some implant companies, it's a small jump. Some implant companies, it's a big jump. So if you're deciding on downsizing, you really want to know when I downsize, is the increased flexion gap going to be a small incremental change or a large incremental change? So all of those are little nuances that are really important to be aware of, and as well as your rotation. And the biggest thing that I can say is really ask yourself, at the end of the case, if you could go back in time, now knowing what you know as far as the balancing, would you have changed the distal cut by a degree or two? Would you change your rotation by a degree or two? And if you can start to place that information in your brain based on certain patterns that you see, you may be able to make those minor adjustments earlier on that would lead to better balancing and hopefully a better outcome and a happier patient at the end of the day. So it's a lot of information. We're talking about a lot of different things, um, but all things that I like everybody to think about when you're doing the femur, it's more than just a few cuts. It's a lot of three-dimensional things that can really affect the outcome of a lot of different parts of how the knee functions. 
So until next time, when we're going to go into detail on the tibia, you're listening to the Total Knee Podcast, Tips and Pearls. I'm Adam Rosen. Please uh, subscribe so you can be updated when the next episodes come out. And until next time, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.